Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Anne McElvoy, Senior Editor and Host of Economist Radio, and this is The Economist Asks, and today we ask, how do you make a hit musical? Fashions in musical theatre are patterns of change, with jukebox musicals all the rage one minute, film adaptations storming home the next, and some hits whose raw material wouldn't have suggested a sellout, from the Book of Mormon to Hamilton, and long before them, a musical based on a T.S. Eliot poem about cats. My guest today is someone who's weathered all those shifting fashions and shaped rather a lot of them himself. It's almost 45 years since Jesus Christ Superstar made its Broadway debut and since then, composer Andrew Lloyd Webber has scored for scores of hit shows and racked up seven Tony Awards, seven Olivier Awards, four Grammys and an Oscar for good measure. In a moment, I'm going to put him in the spotlight on the economics of musicals, why they work and sometimes don't. But first, here's a taste of one of those greats. You Must Love Me, from Evita. Deep in my heart I'm concealing Things that I'm longing to say Scared to confess what I'm feeling Frightened you'll slip away You must love me You must love me So, Andrew, you broke a vow by coming in here to talk to us today in the Economist offices in central London. We're very pleased you did, but why did you not darken our doors for a long time? Well, I only realised that I should not be here as I walked through your doors because this is on the site of the St James's Theatre, not to be confused with the current St James's Theatre, the original wonderful St James's Theatre that used to be one of the most famous playhouses in London. And it was demolished in ooh, 1960, I suppose, because I remember lying down in the street um, with next door to Vivian Lee, because my aunt was an actress, uh, in protest at this building. And we all had to take a solemn vow that never would we darken the doors of whatever dreadful institution or building was to rise up on the site here. Well, I hope you've forgiven us. Well, sort of thinking about it. Do you know what makes something work? And when it doesn't as a musical, you know straight away. The best way of answering that is to quote uh, Oscar Hammerstein in South Pacific when he says, fools give you reasons, wise men never try. The fact is, is that nobody knows what is a great idea for a musical. Uh, and the, the, the truth is, is that the musical theatre is really littered with examples of things that people 
could not conceivably have thought would have been great ideas, but for some reason have worked. And if we start perhaps with cats, now there was a, another theme which now seems perfectly self-evident that this is a great hit musical. And yet T.S. Eliot, Book of Poetry about cats, was it self-evident to you when you started no, it had, it had decades every, ago to ev- make into a musical? It had every single thing going against it. It was me working without Tim Rice um, for the first time, uh, setting poems about cats to music to by a dead poet uh, with the director of the Royal Shakespeare Company who'd never done a musical before with a then relatively unknown producer, Cameron Mackintosh, who'd never had a hit. Uh, me without Robert Stigwood, who'd been my kind of mentor producer before, and going into a theatre which was a graveyard for musicals called The New London, where Greece had failed with Richard Gere in the lead. Every single factor that you could have dreamt of for a musical to be a disaster was there in spades. This is the bit where I, I would like to explore that link in your mind between being the composer but also the person who's, in the end, has got to make this thing work or part of the team that makes it work. So when you know that all of these things look so unfavourable. What makes you sure that Cats is going to be OK? You're not. I mean, that's the short answer. You, you don't know. With something which was as daring as that, well, it was 1981, and um, up to that time, there had never been a musical that was dance-based on, on, on the British stage that was homegrown. There simply wasn't. I mean, we were Broadway was considered to be the place where you did dance and British actors were considered to have two left feet. You, you, it just didn't happen. I know I'm trying to get you to, to bottle what they call magic, but is there just something that clicks in your mind? No, what there was was a belief in that we were doing something completely new. But what we did not know was whether it was going to work or not. The dividing line between the success of a musical and failure is tiny. And you can have a really great musical start with a a production that didn't work for it for some reason, just one element of it wrong, and the musical could perhaps be buried. A really good example of this is Chicago. Chicago opened in the same season in New York as a chorus line, and a chorus line won every award going, and Chicago was buried. Ten years later, to where he maybe mean a little later than that, there was a revival of Chicago as a kind of semi-staged concert in a series called the Encore series in New York, and that's the production that we now know of Chicago around the world. It rehabilitated the show, and the show is arguably, in some places, better known now than Chorus Line. Tell us in real terms a bit about the, the raw economics. We had a, a piece not long ago called The Tills Are Alive, which estimated that musicals were getting three times costlier to put on than they were 20 years ago. That sounds like quite a bad business model. Well, it's worse than that. Um, I mean, if you go back to Cats in 1981, Cats probably today would cost £6 million to produce in exactly the same way as we produced it. Back in 1981, I can remember the capitalisation because I could remember getting the second mortgage on my house (laughs) to to do it. Uh, It was half a million pounds. We went a little bit over, but roughly the economics are that in London it's about ten times now more expensive than it was back in 1981. Ticket prices in the West End have not gone up anything like uh, the same amount of the production costs and exactly the same on Broadway. But what is the impact of that? is, I'm putting this politely, you don't look any poorer. So what's the problem with that? Well, the the problem is that if you're a young person coming into musical theatre today, it's very, very, very much more difficult to make a living out of it. 
I mean, if I were coming into musical theatre today, I might not be looking quite like you say I look today, of which thank you very much. But the first people to get squeezed now are musicals of the creative teams, the authors, the writers, the directors. Uh, they now no longer customarily make royalties out of a show. What now happens is that they go into what they call a royalty pool, which is a, and they get a kind of minimum uh, guarantee for a, a show, but the show has to really be in profit, in, in, in big profit, before the writers and everybody now participate. What would you change about the economics of musicals? I've got first-hand experience of roughly what a show costs to put on on Broadway now, where, first off to say, they do not have to deal with a 20% bat on the tickets. It's horrendous. The big, the big, the big cost there is the labour costs. It, there's a huge union cost on Broadway. So I can give you an exact example, if you like. The Winter Garden Theatre is a theatre I know very well because Katz was there for many years. But it, it, the, the actual fixed cost of going to the building, not talking about the theatre rent or anything like that, but the actual cost of the labour and everything associated with the building is $167,000 a week. It's got 1,450 seats roughly. The Adelphi Theatre in London, which I co-own, is a 1,500-seater theatre, and the cost, fixed cost, that equivalent fixed cost, is £37,500. So let's call that $52,000, say, just for the sake of maths. Well, it's 167 to 52 for exactly the same service in exactly the same sort of building. So would you change the model in London? Or would you, which if I was asked to give you a forcing bid, you could have a bit less VAT in London or you would change labour costs in New York? What would you do? Oh, well, it would be, have to be the labour costs in New York. Have to be. I mean, what, what has happened now in, 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 in America is, is that it means that unless you've got a runaway smash hit musical, you know, it's extremely difficult to be in the club. So what you're getting now on Broadway and, and this huge success of Hamilton kind of in one sense takes the eye off the ball because it's, it's, that's a Leicester City. I mean, that's a 5,000 to one once in a generation with luck, you'll get one of those. Uh, but it means that you are tending now to get productions that are with a proven track record, like you'll get, what's the big one going into New York next year? Disney, guess what, with Frozen. You see, that's what's happening now. The, the, the producers are trying to go for insurance policy with things that are safe. I mean, the, 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 the truth is that the amount of money that's lost on musicals probably, I hate to say, outweighs the successes. That gives us a, an opportunity to talk about some of the misses. When they miss... Do you know why? Well, there's very often a reason, um, and, and one of the most common reasons, if the score of the show is actually good, very often it'll be the production design. I remember very early on Harold Prince, the probably the greatest director Broadway's ever had that I've ever worked with, uh, telling me when I was a very young man, he said, you can't listen to a musical if you can't look at it. And that was the reason why Chicago failed first time around. And... I think, you know, both of us love opera. You'll go to see a production of an opera that you love and you'll say, I really hated that evening. And 90% of the time it'll be the production design. Do you know when you say it's the production design, but is there a sort of moment when you yes, think this works I, and this doesn't? I, I mean, I've, I've had a, a load of shows which, I mean, quite frankly, haven't worked. Uh, and, I, and I go through them, if you like. Um, the one that really went wrong was a show called Whistle Down the Wind. And that was a fundamental mistake because it was conceived, written and ready to go as a movie. And what happened was that Harold Prince heard it and he 
thought he'd love to travel go at it in the theatre and I should have absolutely said no because it's a story that was not written for the theatre and we tried to do it in the I would not really advocate doing that one again. Let's listen to a, a couple of clips. You've said you'd like to hear something from Sunset Boulevard. Why have you chosen that? What would well, be the torch song? Well, I think um, since Glenn Close has had such a triumph with uh, it in London, uh, it'd be great to hear everything as if we never said goodbye. Because, I mean, it's it's the first time I've ever actually seen uh, a song of mine absolutely stop a show. You always say people, but, I, but, but absolutely not possible to proceed with the show because of her performance. And uh, although this was recorded 20 years ago, it does give a pretty good idea of why, why she did it. Everything's as if we never said goodbye. Billy Wilder actually did give a, a response of long course, ago to yes, Sunset Boulevard. Of course, he saw it, and uh, I, I, he had very many uh, comments on it. And uh, but I, what the one that always amused me was uh, I can't do his Austrian accent, but like he always called me Mr. Weber, and he said, "Mr. Weber, you have done a wonderful job with my my little." baby, he said, but there is a problem with theatre. And I said, well, what's that, Mr. Wilder? And he said, the problem with theatre is everything is in long shot. I've always loved that. I get the impression you're rather fascinated by Hamilton and by its success. And what that shows about musicals and about their present direction, what is it that interests you there about the economics of well, Hamilton? Well, I mean, I think the first thing to be said about Hamilton is, is that it is the first show I've seen in 50 years that I think does change the direction of musicals and is a totally tone, new tone of voice. I mean, so that's the real thing that has fascinated me. I think what nobody perhaps could have possibly foreseen is the scale of the success of, of what it is. And of course, being in a relatively small theatre, the tickets are relatively unavailable. But what Hamilton does highlight is something that can happen now with a very big hit that did not happen in my day and is happening with things like The Lion King and it is happening and no doubt will happen with Frozen and Book of Mormon. They're able to do this. But what what the, where the producers are now making their money isn't out of really the, the ticket prices and uh, everything that uh, as advertised because it's almost... It, it's, it, you, you have to almost be taking a million dollars a week now on Broadway. It's terrifying to even be in the game and even considering repaying your investors. I mean, it's, it's, it's terrifying. But what's happening is, is that they've woken up with a really big hit like a Hamilton to the fact that the money used to be being made on these shows, and I'm thinking back to Phantom, by the ticket touts. But with the way that ticketing can now be done directly and with it, with it of course, what the show producer can now do is alter the price of the tickets themselves. So if you go to say, Book of Mormon or Hamilton on Broadway or any of the, the, those sort of shows now, and you want to book through the theatre, they're doing it like airline pricing, you see. So uh, if you want to try and buy a ticket for Book of Mormon, uh, there is no price now for the top price. I mean, it might be $100 or $150 one night. More likely, you're going to be paying 1000 That's kinetic pricing. Eh? Yes, and that's what's happened. That's, that's completely new. That's something that's, I, I've only encountered really in the last few years. Inevitable or do you disapprove? Well, 
I mean, what are you going to do, really? I suppose, I mean, this is an argument that we all used to have years ago when the ticket price touts were standing outside Phantom of the Opera and charging, you know, five times what the book price was for the ticket. And, I mean, you know, it is probably better that it goes back to the theatre producers because theatre producers tend to then invest back in the theatre. When you look at Hamilton, you talk about a new tone of voice or something seems to have struck you as, as very different, very fresh about it. Would it affect or perhaps inspire you to do anything different? No, because the composer there, who I know now a little bit, in fact, quite well, he, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote it, comes from very much a rhythmical and language background. I mean, he writes both music and lyrics, and he also stars in Hamilton, which is another thing. But, um, I mean, we have conversations, you know, where he he's intrigued by the fact that I'm melody-driven. I'm melody and story-driven. He's story and lyric and rhythm-driven. And we come from the same, you know, vessel, which is musical theatre, but we come at it from a very, very different point of view. And so he's fascinated by how it is that I come up with melodies. I'm fascinated by how on earth he manages to, say, do a rap in 7-8 time. A bit like football managers, you also have all sorts of things to to deal with in musicals that that just happen along the way. I'm Nicole Scherzinger, I think, who you'd, uh, it was was due to appear for you on Broadway and suddenly when? There's a week a week before we are going to go into rehearsal with Cats on Broadway, uh, which luckily I'm not producing. I have to say, uh, I um, get the news that she's decided. Well, she calls me and says that she's decided she wants to do X Factor, having agreed everything. I mean, she's crazy. Uh, but the uh, American producers, you see, just took a view. Well, they just say, oh, fine, we'll get somebody else because she's actually not very well known in America, amazingly. I mean, she's much better known here. I'm furious because I really believe she's the most fantastically talented girl and I went out on a limb to get her for the London Palladium here and it makes me look like an absolute twat with them all. But uh, never mind, uh, you know, um, there'll be another girl on Broadway and uh, Nicole will not get her Tony Award. It's always invidious uh, to ask a composer to, to choose a darling, but uh, choose us a, a, a clip towards well, the end that, that means something special to you, and, and why is that? Well, the nicest thing that happened to me on the opening of School of Rock in Broadway, when it really had gone very well, was somebody came up to me and said, that's a great, great show, this School of Rock, but it's not as good as By Jeeves. Now, By Jeeves is my... I absolutely love that little show. I'm one of the very few people, other than Alan Aikborn, who wrote it with me, who do, but there is a small little number of us who uh, will always stand by it. And uh, if you'd just like to play the title song, I shall leave this building thinking I've avenged the St. James's Theatre. I think we could agree to that. Goes like a bird. Hold on to your hat. Hey, this is more like it! My philosophy's to travel hopefully And making each day that I survive An opportunity to share the company That welcomes me when I arrive Travel hopefully with me Let all your thoughts run free We can't have come this far But that nothing Till with any luck you'll feel your inner voice reveal Just where the hell we are full travellers, me and you Andrew Lloyd Webber, thank you very much. 
do send us your tweets on this show at Economist Radio. And as I take my bow, you could also tweet me at Anne McElvoy. In London, this is The Economist. 